You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Welcome to Afternoon Cyber Tea. I'm Ann Johnson with Microsoft, and I am your host today. On Afternoon Cyber Tea, we talk with cybersecurity thought leaders and industry influencers about what is shaping the cyber landscape and what should be top of mind for the C-suite and other key decision makers. Today, I am joined by Dr. Andrea Little-Lombago, and we are examining the new risks in cybersecurity and IoT and how to minimize them. Oh, thanks very much for having me. I'm looking forward to the discussion. IoT is a business enabler that empowers companies to gather and analyze data and develop rich, predictive capabilities that they can use to fine-tune operations, optimize processes, and develop analytics-based services. But cybersecurity risks are a significant concern for Microsoft and many companies, as we have recently explored in our new research report, IoT Signals. If you have not had the opportunity to read it yet, I encourage you to take a look. Check the show notes for a link to this report. Dr. Andrea Little-Lombago is a computational social scientist, cybersecurity researcher, writer, keynote speaker, quant analyst, and national security wonk. She is currently the chief social scientist at Virtue, where she researches and writes at the intersection of privacy, cybersecurity, and geopolitics, while also guiding the company's technical thought leadership. So let's talk a little about you, just for a moment. What, let me, I'm going to ask you a question. Why do you do what you do? What, what drove you to, be, to do this, to get your doctorate, to pursue this marriage of social science and technology? It's a combination of, you know, weird trajectory of my career path, but all the, sort of the underlying connection through it all is that my background in national security care a lot about basically democracy, human rights, those kind of fundamental freedoms that we enjoy in the United States. And I've looked at that over time and studied historically, studied various kinds of uh, national security issues with it. You know, over the last few decades, the role of technology and its impact on national security and economic security, and then you're sort of going down all the, to the various areas of human rights and civil liberties, all of that are just so interconnected at this point. And so I taught for a little while on various kinds of conflict studies, went and worked in the Department of Defense. And when I was in the Department of Defense is where I really started getting into more of the cybersecurity work and working a lot with engineers. What I focus on now stems from that time where I look at you know, the human-computer interaction and trying to make security more accessible to, broad, to a broader group of people so that they too can enjoy the safety and security of their data. Everything from there to still looking at the geopolitics. And that's, you know, these days it's so hard to extract anything that goes on in the cyber domain from geopolitics writ large. I mean, it really is so fundamentally shifting the way interactions are occurring in the geopolitical realm. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. And there aren't many people looking at that. There are more now. When I started getting into it, there, there weren't that many. So it probably, that's the long answer. The short answer probably, I, I, the fascination of how technology impacts society, the importance of that is just going to grow. And so that, that's sort of what drives me to try and help create solutions that help people secure themselves. So your work covers the role of automation, machine learning, artificial intelligence as tools for attackers, and also how they can be used for defense as well. So what do we learn about bad actors when we use their own methods to detect and also to defend against them? A great question. It's one of those things that you know, continues to evolve. You know, I think we've, for a long time, we've looked at you know, blue teaming and red teaming and you know, having them play off each other to, to continuously learn. Uh, we've gotten into the areas of automation and machine learning, it even takes it to another level of complexity. And so where we're seeing a lot of the attackers right now, and that's everything from nation states to criminal actors to you know, the individual that we're working on their own, you know, thanks to the role of automation, 
you know, they got a much more oversized impact than they previously could. And so that also has changed the game. And it's, you know, it's one of those core components of you know, the asymmetric nature of, of cyberspace where you're seeing a greater impact with fewer resources. And so when you're thinking about your defenses, it impacts both where you're looking at whether you're targeted or opportunistic. And it's really actually fascinating the way that we've seen over the last few years, the way the automation is really being used. It's evolving into means machine learning. And the, and the one thing I would add, I'd argue that despite you know, the hype that we're seeing around AI right now, uh, especially in a lot of the, the market texture in our industry, it's still mainly automation and machine learning that we're, that we're seeing right now. And so if you think about like WannaCry and self-propagating worms, that's a good example. The Mirai bot from 2016 you know, that took down a couple of different you know, social media sites and, and you know, basically hundreds of thousands of machines. And just a year later, there was a Bricker bot which took down tens of millions of machines. And so we're seeing a really great pace of change going on to that. And that's where you have to look at that, look at those kinds of trends that are going on and how the adversaries are using it in the different ways that they're using AI or machine learning really and automation to then protect your defenses accordingly. And an area where we're starting to see it merge even more so is in the areas of deception and misdirection. And so as defenders, we're starting to see more and more usage of, of machine learning and automation for everything from you know, anomaly detection um, to looking at uh, you know, leveraging natural language processing to make it more of, more of a human element to it. And so we are seeing that, those components for defenses. But what now you can start seeing is having some of those algorithms actually being poisoned to then work in the favor of, of the attacker again. So it's one of those things where it's just like in every other area of, of cybersecurity, it seems you know, it's a cat and mouse game where as defenses evolve, so does the offensive techniques. And so you have to continually stay on top of what they're doing in that area to then inform how you're structuring your, de- your defense. Are you concerned at all that the, you know, the bad actors, as we call them, or the attackers mm. are getting ahead of us with any of these capabilities yeah. that we're going to be coming from behind? Or do you think we're on par? You know, and maybe it's just my human nature. Um, I'm always concerned about that. And, and, and I feel like if we ever stop worrying about that, then we definitely will be falling behind. But I, I do worry about not necessarily the, the realm of automation and machine learning, but almost in our ability to creatively think about how they may be using it. And so that's where I worry that's more a failure of creativity um, than it is of, of the technology. And so that's where, again, you know, I'm, I'm a social scientist and you know, there aren't a ton of us necessarily in this industry. And it's why I always advocate for different disciplines coming in into the security area to really look at what might be some of those different uses of automation and machine learning that we may not be thinking about. And that's where you get a lot of the interesting insights to help drive where to help you plan ahead and think about what might be might be being used and, and honestly just in the last uh, week alone I've seen a couple of different articles on the base on, on the issue of using automation machine learning for decoys and deception and basically tweaking the various kinds of algorithms it's starting to come into cognition that these are some concerns to have but it's worry that there isn't enough focus on those kind of things that we're still just looking we're either jumping too far into the future and preparing for a world that's not quite here yet or we're looking too far backwards and preparing for something that, you know, that was last year's issue. And so I'd love for us to just continue to expand the creatively thinking about how these various kinds of technologies could be used against us. Then we can then again, you know, insert our own creativity into preparing better defenses. So when we think about, you know, even the state now in the future, when I go around the world and I talk to customers, one of the things they tell me they were most concerned about is IoT security. So mm-hmm. before we start actually talking about the security of IoT, can you talk a little bit about the privacy of IoT devices and kind of what you're seeing from your angle? Because you do bring such a unique perspective, right? I think so. Well, hopefully, I at least try to. Yeah, and so that's it. That's, that, you know, it's interesting. And I, I feel like, again, these are kind of the conversations that are going on in silos. You've got the one, you've got the privacy community talking a lot about the privacy issues of IoT. 
So anything along those lines, if you think about what's being collected on your smart assistant, what's being collected by uh, your doorbell and your thermostat and everything else that's starting to become smart that you own within your home. And that's where a lot of it focuses for on the privacy angle, a lot of it focuses on what's going on in your home. But it's not just that. You can even look at you know, what's going on, what's being collected on your phone. And a lot of the attacks are targeting uh, various kinds of devices and the spyware and surveillance that can come through your own uh, mobile phone. And so there are just increasing number of privacy concerns across all those various kinds of IoT devices that are out there. And at the same time, there's a security issue and the security community talking about a completely different aspect of it, which gets into looking at some of the vulnerabilities, looking at some of the credential theft that can go on, what kind of access can be used to then access that data. Where they both focus on is that aspect of unauthorized data access and the vast, enormous amount of data being sent from the sensors from all these IoT devices. And so that's where I'd love for us to focus, for both communities to focus on and hopefully optimize what we can do for both privacy and security. Because uh, the way I look at it, you know, it's, it's a big issue on both for both areas. On security, again, we're, we're seeing so many of the different bots that are leveraging the IoT devices to help expand their, their footprint. But then you know, all of us day to day, you know, basically have surveillance systems within, within our homes, and we may or may not have any idea of what, we can, what data is being collected, when it's being collected, who has access to it, how it's being shared, how it's being monetized, all those various concerns. And so it's almost looking at the entire data lifecycle that concerns me both for the security side and on the privacy side. So I want to pull the thread and, and really yeah. separate the consumer and the business yeah. enterprise um, IoT. Yeah. So let's talk for a few minutes about business. And then I do want to come back to consumer yeah. because I, I'm famously quoted as saying I would never have one of those listening devices at my home. I've been asked <laughs> by, by a couple of reporters because I said it once at a conference. So um, we'll come back to that at the end. <laughs> but when you think yep. about Medical devices, manufacturing floors, you think about ATMs, all of the different environments that can have. I was with a customer that told me that they have uh, autonomous vehicles in their fleet and each vehicle has 70 sensors on it. Talk a little bit about how they should be thinking about security for both those brownfield legacy devices, but also new devices they're bringing into the environment. Right. And it is. And I do. I like that separation because it is there. There are quite different concerns, especially obviously on scale. You know, on the one hand, you know, IoT devices do provide great opportunities. And that's why, you know, I, I had you, I think of it somewhat similar to the cloud where it's great opportunities, but also some great challenges. And so with IoT, there, so many businesses are really leveraging, like you said, from everything from supply chain management to having additional data, you know, to capturing different data via sensors, help inform other kinds of optimization and efficiencies, gain better situational awareness. I mean, the IoT devices really are helping revolutionize so many different aspects and so they're, show, they're showing great business value, which is why so many of the enterprise levels are, are leveraging them and leveraging this new technology. And you know, it's funny, I was actually looking for a couple of different data points and it doesn't seem to be a ton of consensus on how many IoT devices are going, going to be out there by next year. Somewhere where you're 20 billion, someone else said 30 billion. So it's a lot and it's growing every single year. And so that means that that attack surface is also growing by, you know, tens of billions of devices every single year. And while it's providing unprecedented efficiencies for these organizations and unprecedented visibility into some of their business workflow, at the same time, there's actually a lack of visibility for what is actually even connected to their network. One of the, the big challenges I see is just having you know, greater awareness as far as what is connected, what's sending data into, into your system, who's actually even having access to that, you know, ensuring that the right access privileges are connected with the various IoT devices that are sending and the various sensors that are sending data back to the enterprise. And so it becomes really multitudes of, of complexity get added onto it by adding on the, the IoT component of it. And for the most part, you know, you're looking at some different studies, anywhere between two-thirds and up to 90% of organizations have no idea how many internet-connected devices exist within their network. And so that's where you're going to start seeing the bigger challenge. And so for me, given that you don't 
know how many devices and on the one hand, given the billions of, of, of devices that are going to be out there, you know, it may be impossible to know exactly how many. So then, then you know, focus back on the data then and ensure that data is protected with the various forms, everything from encryption to access privileges. So that across the data lifecycle, it maintains that protection, even if it's going within in and out of data or in and out of devices that you may or may not trust. That's really interesting. I guess when, when you think about it, it's both being able to asset management, right? And our customers, you know, they have so much technical debt in their environments and so many devices. They, do, mm-hmm. they have the time with asset management on yep. managed devices. Never mind when you get to the unmanaged IoT floor. <laughs> so it, it's, yeah, I know it's, it's those things that everyone is struggling with. And yep. I guess from a pragmatic advice standpoint, I'll tell you a couple of things I tell them and I'd like, let's pull them sure. apart and, you know, maybe enhance yeah. those or th- we can think about it differently, right? One of the first things I tell them is they need to really understand um, from a network segmentation standpoint that that stuff that can possibly contaminate your environment should really be segmented in place where it's not going to bring down your critical business operations, so that's kind of the first piece of advice I give them, regardless of whether it's a managed or an unmanaged device or an yep. IoT, no matter what it is. Any thoughts on that one? Yeah, no, I agree. And that's, you know, kind of gets back into the, the, the knowing your own risk model and where your own priorities are to ensure that what is the worst case scenario and understanding what could happen and what do you need to absolutely by all means protect against. And that's where that segmentation becomes so important to ensure that if one part goes down, the entire business doesn't implode. And so I, I do agree with that. I think that, you know, any kinds of segmentation that you can get, that you can create within that area does help provide provide that you know, additional layer of defense, which you know, that's and I think that's where a lot of this gets into. You know, again, we hear so many of the marketing buzzwords of the you know, multi-layer defenses and those those and defense in depth. There's truth to it, and so I, I argue that, that that is one uh, essential way, and should be some should be something that goes into the broader risk modeling that to ensure that there isn't that poisoning and uh, implosion from one, if one area gets compromised. Yeah, I, I think it's incredibly important. If you think about some of the really big, you know, breaches we've seen um, where entire enterprises were brought down, largely um, part of it was because they had a flat networks, right? And they've been open about yep. that. I wrote a blog last year about this time, by the way. What I'm hoping is the promise of things like machine learning and artificial intelligence to be able to detect even previously unseen or unknown devices or class of devices because they should still behave in a predictable manner, right? And it's not behaving in a manner that you would expect a certain type of device to behave. You probably want to inspect further what the device is. And that's what I talk to our customers about. The tooling is just now getting to a state of maturity. It's not quite there. But what else would you tell them about, especially because they're going to be, you know, it's kind of like the new version of rogue IT, right? Right. Everyone's yeah. putting on devices on the corporate networks. What type of advice would you give them about sensing and detecting those devices to even see what's coming on the environment? Yeah, no, and that's where it gets hurt at heart. I mean, yet another area where it gets really, really hard and complex. It's no wonder that you know, organizations are struggling with this because there is just so much going on and it changes so much year to year. One of the areas where automation and machine learning is so important is through that anomaly detection. And so the way I like to look at it a lot is, you know, how can the humans and the computers interact in a way that's optimal, that optimizes both what humans do best and what computers do best? What computers do best is finding those anomalies, looking and being able to craft some sort of supervised or unsupervised model that evaluates what devices are on, looks at what the normal behavior is, and then is able to detect and, and alert to something that might be anomalous. So I think there's a lot of benefit in doing something along those lines. And again, but where the human component can come in, though, is make, ensuring that those parameters are in there to highlight, well, there might be a certain geographies where these kind of devices always should be. They should not be in that area. Really, the humans and the computers working together to help also set those parameters for it. But the one challenge with that as well, you know, for all of these, it's only as good as the data coming in. And so if 
you're looking for the various devices, but you're not actually getting all that, that information coming in uh, or there are choke points on it, that becomes a challenge. And so we think of machine learning and uh, automation as almost a, a cure-all in many cases, but at the end of the day, it really is just as strong as the data is coming in. So you really have to make sure that if, you're, if you think that you have a perspective of all device data coming in, make sure that you really do, that you're not missing other segments or areas where there might be some connectivity that you hadn't thought about. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I, I actually think, and that is why it's so challenging, is there isn't, you know, I can't go tell them, go buy this technology or because it's just not quite a mature market yet, but, but we're getting yeah. there. You know, a lot of startups and a lot of research um, being done on a topic and everyone acknowledges it's a problem. I think that's, you know, the first step in a solution is acknowledging you have a problem. Right? <laughs> yeah, um, no, and I think that's right. And, but, and the one issue, so much of the research isn't really done at enterprise scale or if, because, again, because there's a data challenge. So for research, you know, cybersecurity has actually a data challenge when it comes to doing original research and academic research because so many of the organizations want to lock down their own data and they're not willing to share it for either compliance or a privacy or security concern, you have so many different reasons why they don't want to be sharing that data. But the researchers who are trying to work on creating some of these solutions don't then have all the access to the data they need to train their models to then make enterprise-level solutions. And so it's a little bit of a, a chicken and the egg where we need to have more data going towards these researchers. But for the most part, most organizations aren't really willing to, to share a lot of that data. And so we've got to figure out ways to you know, create the trust between different groups to share that data to help create better machine learning models. Let's go back to that personal <laughs> device. So <laughs> right. <laughs> we were on a panel together and I said it because I, I say it a bit. <laughs> I'm not comfortable having a personal, you know, assistant uh, listening device in my home. And candidly, I minimize all of the connected technology I have in my home. However, I know there are many security professionals that feel perfectly comfortable. So let's talk about <laughs> uh, from your perspective, if you're going to have that type of connectivity in your home, what do you recommend people do to secure that? And <laughs> Maintain your privacy. Yeah, no, it's funny. I'm, so on that panel, if you remember, the question was asked, how many people in the audience have you know, the home assistant? You know, almost everyone raises their hands. How many of us on this panel, none of us raised our hands. And so there are, you know, I, I'm with you and I don't want any of that in my house. However, that said, I understand that that's, you know, that the world is shifting that way and so many people have them. And so a couple of different areas I would really focus on, and it, which I actually kind of think with where some of the legislation is going as well, is First, at a, at a minimum, you know, there are going to be you know, various kinds of access privileges to it. So whatever the default is that, it com- with, that your device comes with, change that immediately. And it's actually a very basic you know, cyber hygiene. If the default is in there, you want to change that because that's where so many of these automated you know, scanners are looking for those kind of vulnerabilities in IoT that are leveraging the default protections and access privileges. And so that would be one of the first things I would do is, is to look at that. Another thing I, you know, I'd look at is really understanding what data is being collected and when it's being collected. And, you know, the, the interesting thing, Scilab out of uh, Carnegie Mellon did, did an analysis basically looking at whether people look at or consider security and privacy before making IoT purchases. And for the most part, they do not still. And so that, if I were to do like one big, one big recommendation is just consider the security and privacy ramifications that could happen. But what I thought was interesting about that report also is that if they had more information on what the risks were and what data was being collected, then they would consider it more. And so I'd really start looking at what, you know, do some of the quick searching online to find out if it's not already you know, transparent on the boxes, because for, for a lot of these, it's not terribly transparent what's being collected. You do just a tiny bit of research to find out and look at as you're doing your comparison for which one to buy, do the comparison of which one is, does, has those better security and privacy protections in place. And they're not all created equal. And I think it increasingly, as we hear more and more about, you know, voice coming through the baby monitor, those kind of horror stories come become more and more 
a topical or or the fish tank one where you're know, compromising through an organization through the the connected fish tank as we hear more and more of those kind of outlandish one-off events increasingly happening and they're then they're almost sensational enough to make people care more about security and privacy start doing more of the research people are going to there is a, a switch within the u.s at least trying to understand what data is collected and there's greater concern about what data, data is being collected it's really finding that out another one as you're doing some of that research it's also figuring out what what is done with that data where is it being shared how is it being stored all those kind of things can really help out a lot then the you know, one of the most basic one if you don't want to do your research don't want to do any of that make sure that you've, you've got it turned off when, when you don't need it don't leave it as always on anything that that might be the most basic one for some for some of these devices for some of them you can't because they require actually the always on such as some of the security settings that they have on it but uh, if you don't need it turned on at that time turn it off that's pretty fundamental <laughs> uh, i think that can apply to a lot of uh, even corporate security if you don't need a device on yeah. turn it off right. uh, it goes back to a big breach from a couple of years ago it was pretty public and the the main reason that they were able to get the recovery done in the time they did is because one of the servers they needed just happened mm-hmm. to be unplugged from power at the time. You know, and that, you know, that often, that's actually a great, and I've heard from what, I won't say which one, but one of, talking to someone who's had to respond to one of the, the citywide ransomware attacks, they had a whole area saved because they were, they were able to unplug the server in time. Yeah, it is. It, that, that is a, a broader application. And again, this is one of those things where I think as a security community, we can do a better job explaining to people why they don't need everything on all the time, which can then help them make more informed decisions about the various kinds of data and access that they're allowing within their homes. So if you had two to three pieces, and I, I want you to give it to both our corporate audience and folks that are thinking as consumers, right? If you had two to three pieces of advice that you want everyone to leave this podcast with, what would they be? Wow. Let's see. I know. Um, I know. I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah. I that. No, I know. Like, wait, 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 like, which angle do I want to go on? I also try not to end everything with uh, you sort of the negative. So on the one hand, you know, there's great innovation that could be coming. I want people to keep that in mind, that there's so much goodness that can come from this innovation as far as you know, helping you know, greater collaboration by the you know, security of the data actually coming together. We can really make enormous advances in everything from healthcare to other kind of scientific excursions. And so my biggest piece of advice is despite all of the sort of the doom and gloom that we hear a lot, or maybe that's just that we hear that <laughs> in security, despite the, the alert fatigue and all the hacks that we keep and all the compromises that are going on, there's still something that we can do about it. And so maintain that optimism. I think it's really important to maintain that because it's sometimes it's hard as you read the newspaper headlines day to day to be optimistic about it, but we need that optimism to enable to make it a better place. And then I'd take, you know, another one just you for individuals to take ownership of their own security and privacy at the same time and really be aware. I think for a long time, we've assumed that different companies have, you know, you have your best interest at heart in protecting your data. And some do, and they have not been able to protect it, but not everyone does. Companies are from, you from across the globe have different interest in what they're going to, do, going to be doing with your data. And so just try and raise better awareness of what's going on with your data um, and finding ways to protect it. And that's really looking into just some of the very basic components that I think we probably all tell folks as far as understanding what you password reuse, either use a password manager, write down your password depending on what your threat model is and just hide away somewhere so you don't forget it, but just don't use the same ones for finance and uh, other areas of your life. And just become, you know, look at that, look at two-factor authentication. Um, that's available on so many different social media outlets and so many of the other websites that you use, especially for finance. Really leverage those. And part of what's driving this answer, you know, I, I just was reading a, a Pew poll that came out this month on, on Americans' did a, did a digital knowledge. And basically shows that it's, it's not great. And it's everything from understanding password reuse and two-factor authentication. So I'd really love for people just to focus, look at some of those basic steps that are, that are recommended and really, you know, those can stop 
90% of the attacks and, that, and protect you against 90% of the attacks that might go against your data. So prioritize that. Don't, don't assume that someone else is going to be doing it for you. You know, I think that's great advice. You'll laugh when I tell you I had brunch with a family member last weekend, a family member. So, you know, you yep. would think my family is pretty secure. <laughs> they were complaining because one of the app providers that they have an app they use on their phone is now requiring two-factor authentication. And I said, well, you yep. can use Comfort. And they like, it's just so inconvenient. <laughs> and I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> you just put it down. Yeah. No, and, I, and I've heard that as well. I mean, and that's, and that's a, sort of the, the, the struggle is getting people to understand that those two seconds really are worth it <laughs> in, in the long run. They, they do save you a lot, but we do. We, have, we constantly, we live in the world where it's uh, you know, constant responses and they, they want you know, immediate responses and immediate answers. And so uh, maybe we can sit back a little bit and not mind waiting two seconds for security and privacy. That could go a long way. But I think Very, you're not alone. I, mean, I, I have those conversations all the time with my friends and family as well. <laughs> that, I, I feel more comfortable with that, but somehow less comfortable too. So. I know, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Andrea, for joining us. It's been a great conversation, and I really appreciate you making the time. No, thank you for the invitation. This has been a, a fun conversation. I also want to thank our listeners. I hope you will join us next time on Afternoon Cyber Tea. I'm Ann Johnson, your host. Have a great day. Please subscribe to Afternoon Cyber Tea on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One so you don't miss an episode. Make sure you rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends. Thank you for listening and join us next time for a new episode of Afternoon Cyber Tea with Ann Johnson of Microsoft. This week on the Microsoft Threat Intelligence Podcast, join us as we dig deep into the XZ backdoor with its finder, Andreas Freund, and senior security researcher, Thomas Rochia. Be sure to listen in and follow us at msthreatintelpodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.